0: This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.
1: Hello everybody, this is Patricia W. Fish with Readers Entertainment Radio and it is June 17th and We are already pretty deep into the summer, but just remember, keep using that sunscreen because it is National Skin Cancer Awareness Month, so be sure and check um, yourself. Make sure that you are uh, properly covered with, you know, sunblock and lip balm and eyeglasses. All those things make a difference so we can all, um, you know, have... Uh, good health because um, if you, if your skin's not healthy, you're honestly, you're not going to be healthy. Um, and it is also, today is National Garbage Man Day. So, you know, I think it's a really unappreciated job uh, because somebody's had to do this job and, and people are out every day collecting the stuff. So just at least give a wave and a thank you because it's a big deal. Um, and then it's also National Bartender Day. So, you know, maybe you uh, toast to the garbage man or maybe you just Um, I don't know, give them a gift card or something, they can go get their own drink. So there you go. Um, And one of the things that is really, really fun in the summertime for me, and I love this because I would go to the library and load up a bag of books every week, um, was reading, like reading, reading reading all day long Um, because I grew up in Houston. So we would go out in the mornings and then come inside a little bit because it was like oppressively hot and then come back, go inside, read, go back out till it was dark and then come back in and read until I couldn't keep my eyes open. And one of the most favorite things I loved to read was historical fiction. And so, I have a book for you, historical fiction lovers. You have to read this book. So a public relations professional, Jenny S. Bryce, spent more than 20 years running her marketing and public relations firm. For 10 of those years, she wrote and read Buffy, Spike, fan fiction. And before fan fiction, her days as a PR diva, the graduate of Barack College at DePaul University, was a professional dancer, part-time singer, and bad actress. Um, she worked with – and bad is in parentheses because I know she's spectacular. She worked with professional dance companies in Chicago and New York, and a theater production, which um, almost debuted in Off, Off, Off-Broadway, which is fabulous. Um, her debut novel, Wild Woman and the Blues, brings the past and the present together when a grieving film student, Sire Hayes, seeks out the 110-year-old honoree to get answers for his thesis on the legendary filmmaker, Oscar Oscar um, Michaud. And they discover more than they bargained for. The book has been featured in O Magazine, Bustle, Parade, Marie Claire, and a ton of others. You can find Denny at her website, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and I have all those links in the write-up of the show. So welcome, Ms. Denny S. Bryce. How are you today, my
0: dear? I am fabulous, and thank you, <laughs> Patricia, for having me. This is very exciting. I love doing radio, so um, <laughs> this is pretty great. Thank you. And, you know,
1: I – so I stayed up late last night, so it's your fault that I have to drink extra coffee today because I'm reading your story. (laughs) Um, And um, I am so happy for that. Uh, But it's one of those things that I've always loved history, and a lot of the people that you have in your books – I've I've followed Josephine Baker for like 30 years and everything. And it's one of those amazing things that you're like, oh, I know that person or I know of that person. Um, And then you start doing more research and you start looking and it's like this rabbit hole of information. So one of the things I wanted to ask you was how did you limit yourself when you were starting this project? Because we'll get to the origin story here in a sec. But how did you limit? I mean, like you set a timer. Did you like, okay, I'm only going for this. (laughs) I mean, like, how well, did you do that?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I wish there was that much self-control in me. But um, <laughs> honestly, um, Wild Women in the Blues took me six years to write. So I okay. would say um, my success at avoiding the rabbit hole for that first book was limited <laughs> and <laughs> because it's such a fascinating thing to dive deep into history, African-American history, that um, on many levels, you, as an African-American, I'm assuming I should know or that I do know. But I don't yeah. know because it's not taught in school. It wasn't a part of, um, at least in, in undergrad, um, and so the opportunity to dig into the different stories, the hidden histories, and um, bring them um, to the forefront through, uh, you know, fiction and novelizations, it was just an exciting opportunity. And the history just fed me more and more what if? So I dove right, right in, and, yeah, well, and I, it's I didn't, yeah, I was not a successful rabbit hole avoider. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I wouldn't have been either. I mean, still, I was looking up. Yeah. I was looking at people from your book, and I'm like, oh, there's that person. Oh, there's and oh my gosh, they knew that person. Oh my god, and you just like you just keep. <laughs> and what I found, I mean, I know there's every year there's always the grumpy grumpers, or I, I will just call them that for now. They're like, why do we need Black History Month? It's like. This is why, because this is the history that's not being taught. And so if I can introduce somebody who's 10 um, to this name of uh, this person, mm-hmm. this, they work with so-and-so, that, I mean, it's like, oh, really? And then that stirs that curiosity. Um, and well, I just- Well,
0: hopefully yeah. um, we'll see more uh, attention paid to a broader curriculum. Um, Right. So that, um, you know, Black History Month is fabulous, but that's not the only reason to read books by and about people of color. It's part of what should be on the fiction landscape. And what's exciting about what's happening now is that we're seeing more and more and more books by authors of color about Mm -hmm. their – that – are about the culture, but also our stories, our dramatic, our funny, our thrillers, our suspenseful. Um, there's not one bucket that any uh, culture or any author should have to fit into. So um, right. being able to have this broad landscape of stories that uh, because the history is there, and the creativity is there is just a wonderful thing. Um, so yeah, Absolutely. I, I'm very excited about Wild Women in the Blues. I'm very excited about a whole bunch of books that are coming um, from authors in the months, years ahead. Uh, so tell me, let's, let's go back. So the Wild Women in the Blues is,
1: is got dual timelines. So you're in 1925 yes. and then 2015. You've got Sawyer Hayes, who is a graduate student working on his dissertation, um, and he has found, he believes, a lost film of the legendary filmmaker Oscar Michaud, right? Did, did I say that right? I was mm-hmm. looking for places to make sure I said yes, that right. absolutely. Okay. 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 So, um, so Oscar Michaud, and yes, yes. I was like, oh, good, those years of French I took in school worked. Um, so <laughs> they sh- – he, But he needs answers, and he finds out that one of the women in the film that he's seen, although blurry, um, and pictures yeah. that he has found all this stuff in his grandmother's attic, um, have this woman in it who is still alive. And so
0: mm-hmm. now
1: what a sort yeah, of do, and so you've <laughs> also got her story. You're bringing them together from two ends. Tell me why the dual timeline.
0: Um, dual timeline is a structure, story structure, that I love. I love reading uh, dual timelines. I love the um, what you structurally, what you're able to do with them. For example, explore um, not only a past, but also a, a, another timeline that might help you draw in present you know current day modern readers? Um, sure, but in addition, it lends itself to mystery. Um, you know the what if question um, or the story question can be explored by two different in two different time periods. So um, and, you know what happened that has made this person this way? Um, a certain number of years later, and yeah. what does that um, journey for that person have on that POV character, at least Sawyer, um, in in the 2015 timeline? So, so I I enjoy that structure very much. So that's probably what you you know led me to um, to to write a dual timeline story and i also and I agree completely agree with you because it's
1: it's different if you have someone just kind of telling your story, but if you go back into their head when they were experiencing that. So it's like it's present. Mm-hmm. Um, so the yeah. you know the the way that the she talks like Honoré is a chorus girl, and so she's talking about the 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 uh, sparkly costumes and the the rhinestones and, and mm-hmm. you know how the bar smelled and um, the sawdust on the floor and all these different things. And if she <laughs> was trying to describe it, we'd all be like, oh, okay. But she's in it. With the dual timeline, yeah, we can feel it. We can smell it. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's 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 fun. If if you know, because um, I again as a fan of of reading dual timelines, and of course of just historical fiction. That's part of the job of historical fiction, whether or not it's biographical fiction or historical fantasy or historical thrillers. um, The the You want to, as an author, to bring your reader into that atmosphere, into that environment. And Mm -hmm. um, if you are able to accomplish that, you you have um, through your writing where you can give people a, a strong sense of what it smelled like, what it felt like, what it looked like, how people interacted then, um, you know, you're doing a lot of your job then. Yeah.
1: And, how, I mean, I know that it, it it just depends on what you're writing, but, I mean, where do you look in general for these kinds of little tiny details to make sure they're accurate? And then where do you decide, <laughs> okay, I've tried to look enough. Oh. I'm just going to have to fill in the blank on this one, you know, like guess from what's well, going on at the um, time.
0: Well, Conversations, uh, you know, you weren't there, (laughs) Uh, so um, that's going to rely on creativity. But what, what, how those people, uh, those characters interact? um, um, I know that I've taken some classes, and one that I remember uh, where the instructor said uh, photographs are a fabulous resource for a historical Mm -hmm. fiction author because in those old photographs you don't just look at the main images look at the the things that are in the background look at the texture of whatever the people are wearing look at uh, when you are at least working in a time period where there are photographs um, sure and newspaper articles I would. Um, my research included extensive time spent going through the Chicago Defender archives. The Chicago Defender yes. is one of the oldest African American newspapers and was very prominent in the 1920s. There are also the New Amsterdam News and. In New York, the California Eagle in Los Angeles, there was the Associated Negro Press. So there were a lot of fabulous resources, but since I was digging into Chicago, since Chicago was my primary setting for both timelines, I really mm-hmm. relied heavily on the Chicago Defender. In addition, I also spent time with archivists at uh, the Harold Washington Library in Chicago, and we mm-hmm. explored the map room and the various collections that they had in their
1: wow. um,
0: possession that were absolutely fabulous. I had a fabulous ar- archivist that I worked with there. Wow. Library of Congress was another fabulous resource where mm-hmm. I would just sit in their various reading rooms and, and the librarians and the archivists would bring me stacks of books because I just give them a parameters of what it was that I wanted to dig into, and they were just fabulous in in, in going off. And since they have a far better understanding of their system than I do, um, they sure. were generous in in helping me find different things. So um, it's not just one thing that'll give you um, give you the the that will familiarize you with the story time that you're writing, mm-hmm. and you have to pay that same attention to 2015. Um, right. And and that's important, too, because there are certain things that had not happened yet, or there were things that were just starting to happen, and uh, you want to, um, you know, really uh, make sure that you don't accidentally throw in um, a phrase that wasn't common. And, for, you yeah. know, just language and circumstances and headlines um, change so rapidly, and information is so accessible, so you, you want to do your research very much so. In 2015, no matter what time period you're working in, frankly, I, I think even a contemporary um, fiction writer um, is going to be doing research because um, mm-hmm. they want to – make sure that their story has a shelf life and whatever is happening during that moment in time is a part of their story and, and gives the reader that connection to to a time and place.
1: Well, And that was one of the really beautiful, subtle things I noticed. And I know it's very purposeful, the way you wrote it. But when you're doing the dual timelines, the language between the two, and it's really... Subtle, all, um, but it's like the cadence of the story, of the sentence yeah. structures. Um, they're a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, slang's a little different. Yeah. You've got you know different things going on, but and some are this familiar. It's and, and I was like, well, you know, if I it would be like if I was watching a uh, you know Shakespeare Jane Austen movie or something that was set in the you know eighteen hundreds or whatever, I would know what they were saying, but I would know it was very very that mm-hmm. period, right? Well, you did the same thing, but, so you, you feel disconnected. You're like, okay, I know what a timeline I'm in now, and I know what time, yeah. And it was just yeah. really cool because I almost feel like I'm going in a, a time machine back and forth in my brain. It's like, <laughs> yay, we're
0: back in the 1920s. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, that just, and, and that you, you are correct. That is very purposeful because um, when you uh, switch from, one storyline to the other, um, mm-hmm. they call it a handoff, and in that context, you really want to make sure your your reader um, is is knows where they are very quickly uh, because yes. you don't always when you're reading you all, don't always look at the chapter heading, yes, okay, yes. and you don't always look at the date line that I may put on the page. Right um, up front. <laughs> you, want to, you want to just know. You want the reader to yeah. know, because that's the difference between the reader-based prose and writer-based prose. You, you want the reader to have um, not have to do too much work to know where they are in time. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So let's get to it. I want to hear the origin story of all this. <laughs> the origin
0: <laughs> stories. Well, I, I credit two women. Um, with um, with this. And the first is my maternal grandmother, Ella Elizabeth, who came to this country from Kingston, uh, Jamaica, um, in 1923. And when I was a little girl, in her house were lots of photos. Um, she kept old photos and she put them up on the walls. It was part of the decor. And she yeah. would there would be this woman in these clothes with these cars. And, and I was like, who is that? What is going on there? And these were photos of herself from her youth. And yeah. uh, she'd tell me stories. And so I was like, oh, this is so fascinating. This is so cool. And then um, many years later, I was a professional dancer in New York City. And as many New York City dancers do or did um I waited on table so yeah, in of course. the evening <laughs> you got to make some money cuz dancing is all hey, right <laughs> right right. and even though I lived with six other dancers <laughs> mm-hmm. in a railroad apartment uh but that's a whole other book um but please um, write that so <laughs> what please <laughs> crazy times too. That that one did get written. <laughs> um, but, but the um, club, the nightclub that I worked at was called the Cookery. Now the cookery mm-hmm. was owned by a very elderly man by the name of Barney Josephson. Barney Josephson was also the owner of Cafe Society. Cafe Society was the nightclub where Billy Holiday first mm-hmm. performed Strange Fruit. So he opened this cookery, and his guest list were all of these old stars from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and I've never heard of any of them. Um, Right. And so um, one of them, though, was making a comeback in her 80s, and her name was Alberta Hunter. Alberta Hunter is also one of the historical figures mentioned in the book wild women right. in the blues. And my job when she worked, uh, was to bring her tea before her performance because she always wanted mm-hmm. a cup of tea. And it was not that I was sitting around taking notes back then, saying, I'm gonna write this story one day but then later in life once I started hanging around with writers and working toward becoming a full time writer, um, of of fiction because I was a writer of, in marketing and PR and all of that other stuff, but I um, definitely um, sort of started to connect the dots, and historical fiction just sort of came to me. So now I'll be writing historical fiction, and and historical fiction will be the will be the origin stories, if you will. I'm always yeah. going to be exploring the past yeah. within the present or whatever approach um, I decide to take because I'm also working on my next book um, on deadline for it, in fact. Ah, <laughs> uh, the deadline.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fun stuff. Well, I had looked up, you know, like I was telling you, I was seeing all these, you know, faces and, and names and I was like, oh my gosh, i got to look this person up. So um, Alberta Hunter So she was like, Mm -hmm. went to Chicago when she was, what, 11? And um, then her mom followed her later and she worked in all these different jobs and um, made these amazing, wrote these amazing songs and all this stuff. And then um, she left music for a while and became a nurse.
0: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, yeah. part of the uh, constant story of, of many of these stars uh, from the 20s, 30s, 40s or whatever is that um, their careers went through a lot of change, mm-hmm. a lot of ups and downs. And I think that before she started her comeback in her 80s, she she had disappeared essentially. Um, mm-hmm. I, somebody, if I recall correctly, Oscar Michaud died penniless. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, there there was not an infrastructure in this country for African-American talent and entertainers, um, right. whereby there was always going to be a job around the corner because it was, you know, the industry uh, was controlled, uh, mm-hmm. not by people who were interested in the longevity their careers of African American careers in the entertainment industry, so you have some people who were able to um, you know sustain a career, but very often others who did not and yeah. so um, one another um, element of of wild women in the blues and in, in terms of of uh, fashioning my uh, fictional characters was to Take a look at the stories of, mm-hmm. of everyone from the Josephine Bakers to the Alberta Hunters to the Bessie Smiths um, right. to uh, many other um, artists, who, some of whom who passed away in the twenties, who were at the height of their career for three years, um, yeah. and, and then they weren't there anymore. So um, all of those factors played um, a part. In creating characters like honore um, mm-hmm. like um, the nineteen twenty eight character Bessie, like Ezekiel, for example, my grandfather um, was a merchant seaman and mm-hmm. um, he traveled um, and went away to sea for uh, from his origin country a French um, I don't know so, um, mm-hmm. so so it's a lot of different things that contributed to the creation of the fictional characters and their interaction with the historical figures yeah and it's so many stories
1: so many stories that I mean, <laughs> just haven't been told yet and and you know there's there's yeah. all of these um, it, it was interesting because years ago my um, I just my, I have, my brothers and I and our sisters-in-law, we all like throw out something every year to just like just g- general information. So I, I tuck it away um, thinking of Christmas gifts like down the line at some point. And um, I said, who's everyone's favorite baseball player? And we were living in St. Louis at the time. And I and my, you know, my brothers said whoever and my mom. And then my sister-in-law said um, Josh Gibson and cool Papa Bell. And I'm like, well, I don't know who these people are. Cause I'm pretty, I thought I knew a lot about baseball and she's like, Oh, they're with the Negro leagues. And I was like, what? So, like, you know, looking yeah. them up and it was cool because, yeah. you know, the Kansas city monarchs were so close to St. Louis. And so I had neighbors that had gone right. to, and it was just fascinating to sit down and say, tell me about this. Tell me your stories. Right, and right. giving your yeah, the, voices to people them. is huge.
0: Well, uh, and and, um, giving voice, but also the stories are there. The stories are there and and, and need to be told. And the audience is there as well. There are readers who want to read these stories. And the more you have um, uh, people of color and their stories, African-American stories, uh, Mm -hmm. Native American, Indian stories, there will be more readers So it's a very um, uh, exciting time, I would say, and hopefully continues through the end of time in publishing for folks to explore and uh, tell stories that are stories they want to tell about um, the people uh, and the cultures that are important to them.
1: Well, and I think, too, people don't – as much as people as much as the powers that be tried to segregate things everything was really kind of feeding off each other and so you had this overlap going on as well so everything kind of feeds each other so if we don't know if we only know one part of the story we don't know the whole story so it's like this whole blanket exactly. and then we only get half we need the mm-hmm. whole blanket Right. Um, to really, and I mean, <laughs> I have nice,
0: just—you
1: uh, know, we can't, we can't heat mm-hmm. ourselves I... and stay warm, you know. <laughs> yeah
0: right absolutely it, absolutely. it was
1: interesting because you know in Texas we have 7th um, grade is Texas history so you know we get to brag about ourselves for a year um, to our kids and I really made <laughs> it, it was interesting because you know we started my kids and I were looking at stuff and going back and going oh and this is why this happened um, and in a way it was um, a little disappointing to get the whole story but then it was like well that's the whole story. So now we know, um, because yeah. it wasn't all very pretty. It wasn't all rah rah, you know, right on. Um, and right, yeah, you know, we need to know the whole story. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, so, yeah. You know that that's part of the um, of 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 what happens in histories that are. Uh, Oftentimes, um, what is the phrase, whitewashed for purposes that can be, um, you know, uh, deliberately, um, you know, ugly and and whatever, or just through omission because of lack of understanding. Um, And that's another um, important element of research when it comes to historical fiction for uh, when you're especially looking at African Americans, people of color, blacks, and and really taking the time to understand and examine and explore the source, your source material, because your source mm-hmm. material, um, oftentimes written by men, if you're looking back through history, you know, nonfiction and things like that, right? The time, it's just, and that's part of the challenge of writing. Uh, stories that feature female protagonists as well in history um, mm-hmm. is digging to find their story that has not been compromised by um, a viewpoint that was considered more dominant uh, simply because it was male and white. Um, right. And that is a big thing. Uh, and, and that's, I think, contributes uh, to the popularity. Of historical fiction featuring female protagonists.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, tell me. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. when I you were looking at newspaper books. articles.
1: <laughs> yeah. When you were looking mm-hmm. at newspaper articles and you were comparing, like with the Chicago Defender and then you know the predominantly um, white-sided you know, paper, I guess is way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chicago Tribune. Were you seeing articles that were that were this about the same incident? And how differently they were written, or no. were there just like no, no overlap
0: at all, like no. nothing? Um, well, in the nineteen twenties, um, a, a the most a the most uh, white newspapers, like the Chicago Tribune, would talk about the Jack Johnson boxer and his okay. defeat yeah. of um, you know. But other than that, the the Major a major news story or movement or that's one of the fabulous things about black press um, mm-hmm. during these time periods in particular because that's where you found the true stories the mm-hmm. you know about what was happening to the race uh, be it in the south the tragedies and the lynchings in the south and and elsewhere and also who was what the um, who the major spokespeople were like the W.E.B. Du Bois and the Booker Mm -hmm. T. Washington and the Ida B. Wells. These people and their commitment to encouraging and supporting the activities of the race, you found those stories. And you also found the negative things that were happening to the community in these mm-hmm. newspapers, and it was a rally cry. I, I mean, in in several situations, you will see that the Chicago Defender was credited with helping to spread the word that the migration out of the South needed to happen, yeah. uh, leave Jim Crow behind, and come up north. Um, yeah. So, no, there was not a a, a quid pro quo of news. Um, in in the predominantly um, mainstream press, uh, in contrast to the black press at the time.
1: So when you were doing all this research, and you had you were uh, uh, you loved history and you took a lot of classes in, in college, um, yeah. What what did you learn from this experience? I mean, what did, did what changed? What and what was reinforced? What are the kind of things that you're those, oh, wow, I had no clue or, man, this was worse or better than I thought?
0: Well, um, I think that the biggest takeaway that I am, uh, that comes to mind because, you know, um, is that there's just so much, so many stories that can be told and Mm -hmm. um, so many different approaches to telling them. And so the opportunity for more and more stories is, is just right there at your fingertips, um, mm-hmm. and that was, frankly, a revelation. <laughs> in in yeah. the sense, in the context that you you um, uh, you know you can become dulled by the status quo, and sure. and that for many um, was a part of, of what was, uh, happening in stories. And, and, um, at the same time I say that, but there, there's been authors, uh, telling stories of, of African American history for decades. Mm-hmm. But now it's becoming more prominent. And comes to mind is, uh, Beverly Jenkins. Um, yeah. A wonderful author of historical romance stories are filled with fabulous history, and mm-hmm. you know, wonderfully researched, wonderfully told. And and I think one of her books um, is, I know, I just saw something where she's reissuing one of her books that's twenty five years old. So she, I think it's indigo. These, these stories, yes, yeah, it's indigo. She's been writing yeah. these stories for decades. And mm-hmm. um, there are other authors out there, um, um, I, they don't all come to mind right now for me, but um, sure. it's like she w- she was carrying the torch <laughs> and telling the stories um, for a long time, and now there's more people in the mix telling stories of African American history. And it's just exciting that uh, there's more opportunity in the marketplace, as well as um, hopefully people are also uh going back and looking at um at stories that they may not have been aware of, like those written by Beverly mm-hmm. Jenkins and others. Um I I also Brenda Jackson is another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Brenda Jackson in the romance world of definitely mm-hmm. Brenda Jackson. And um but I also um write book reviews for, uh, NPR. And, okay. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, um, very satisfying thing to do. I was going to say, I would love it. Well, it's, 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 um, the opportunity to, um, I'm a slow reader. That's my only challenge. Um, I wish I could read faster, but I'm a slow reader, and I'm really when I'm writing a review, I'm going to um read even slower yeah <laughs> it's just part of the thing um and um with n p r um a few months ago i um you know w- really um wrote about some of those. African American authors who've been writing for decades. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, I just picked three. Again, there there are definitely many. Um, um, but one gal, uh, L.A. Banks, who is um, now deceased, died several years ago. But she wrote a series, uh, a, a vampire hunter's legend series, and. Mm-hmm. One of the first to write uh, fantasy vampire stories, and she wrote for St. Martin's Press, L.A. Banks, and she was—I was a huge fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I remember when I yes. met her, um, uh, L.A. Banks, many years ago. She she shared with me one of the first things she does when she started to work on a new book was she always dug into the economy of the culture, even if it was a make-believe culture or whatever it was. How did people make money? How did they survive on the day-to-day? And that was one of the, um, in my research, one of the early things that I looked into was how did folks make money in the 1920s? And yeah. that's when I was exposed to policy gambling, which does pay a, play a part in, in, in the story. But it, policy gambling, in, in other terms, is called running the numbers or the numbers mm-hmm. racket. And um, so, you know, all of all of the folks that have been writing for years. Another name is Donna Hill. Another name, Carla Fred. Um, these authors um, are are hopefully, I hope, are also have an opportunity to get read. I mean, Donna's still writing quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it's just so much, you know, if you're going to dive in, there's so much to read. And, and maybe that's oh, yeah. one of my, um, uh, one of the, the uh, things that, challenges my heart is that I, I'm a slow reader and to go back to the fact that I want to read everything because I, I don't have yeah. one genre that I, um, well, I'm definitely dedicated to historical fiction. There's no doubt about that. But, um, but I love reading most everything. Um, mm-hmm. Science fiction, fantasy, um, romance, uh, just just put a book near me, and and I'm trying to read it. <laughs> happy happy time. So tell me, yes. what
1: what can you tell me anything about the project you're writing on deadline?
0: Um, I can say this much about it. Um, okay, there are some pages about in the at the end of Wild Women in the Blues couple of chap, I just think maybe one chapter from the book mm-hmm. and um, it's another dual timeline. It's set in 1928 and in okay. 1968, uh, 1928 Los Angeles and
1: 1968 um, is a road trip from Chicago to Los Angeles.
0: Um, okay. The stories are definitely linked and one of the, um, I'll call it for now central characters, even though it's not a character per se. It is a mm-hmm. building, a hotel, in fact, is a okay. part of both storylines. Um, and other than that, I've got to get it finished and back to my editor. <laughs> okay. So when is, uh, when is your deadline? Mm-hmm. Um, it's next month. Okay. But okay. I so we're not we're talking, talking tomorrow. So I haven't
1: like, taken you away from no, the computer. Well, it, it might, might
0: as well be. There's there are certain <laughs> times where it might as well be tomorrow. But uh, yeah, it's not until then. Uh, I got a little bit of breathing room on this one, but not really. Okay. And so I'm looking forward to getting that done because we already have a um, a date for okay. uh, the book to come out. Um, and that's April 26th in 2022. Wow. So I mean the, yeah. it's just it's
1: amazing how far out things have to be done. Um I mean, oh, but yeah. I get it because you don't want to dump everything, you know, like, okay, we have 35 books out today.
0: Um yeah, you got to spread it out. But man, yeah, there's
1: a little space got to wait that long. Between.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking though that well, I also have another book due this year. So, um, okay, that is due in December. Um I don't have a definitely don't have a launch date for it because I need to hand it in first but sure. um, it's due in December and that's um it's um Wild Woman in the Blues and my second historical um set in the US is with Kensington Publishing and okay. my um book called The Other Princess is set in um in Europe and Africa, in the during the Victorian era, and that's um, my William Morrow book. Yeah, so that'll be my first biographical fiction. Ooh, I'm excited uh, about that one. It's Sarah Forbes Bonetta. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, So
1: I have to ask you about just work, 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 work. Terrible. Um, I yeah. So we have about two minutes left. And so, when Wild Women in the Blues is made into a movie or TV, like you know, Netflix series, who do you yes. want to play Honoré, and who do you want to play Sawyer? Mm-hmm. Like Honoré young, Honoré older, and then Sawyer, who would you play? And
0: Ezekiel? Oh, that's a lot. Well, Alfre Woodard with heavy makeup, I would love her to play the older Honoré, but she'd have to have a lot oh of makeup because be lovely, and gorgeous at. I know. She right might be she's in her, her 60s, late 60s. <laughs> I absolutely I totally agree. Um <laughs> and then young uh, Honoré Zendaya um being, Oh um, yeah. She was yeah, I think she'd be interesting in that part. Um and she's such a multi-talented actress. Um that mm-hmm. um could be fun. Um and I would say for Sawyer, it would be a younger version of Aldous Hodge. Um, He's an actor whom I love dearly. He was in, um, um, he's only 34 now, but in his early 20s, he was in a TV series called Leverage. And I think he'd be great as Sawyer in his, Back, you know, in his early twenties, and um, right now he was just nominated, I think, for a supporting Oscar uh, for the um, movie about. Um, oh, uh, let me let me think of the name of this fabulous movie. I can't think of it right now, but it had okay. it was a imaginary conversation or between because uh, it's historical. Um, between Sam Cook uh, Muhammad Ali um, and um, Malcolm X and someone else and I can't think of the four um, okay. prominent fabulous men who were well I think it was Cassius Clay in, in the movie anyway um, right. so that's who I'm thinking of as care, you know actors who could play the part
1: okay mm. Mm. Yeah. What
0: about Ezekiel? Ezekiel. Oh shoot. I. Mm, Ezekiel's a tough nut. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Um. In in one version, there's an actor on. Um, oh, um, um, Grey's Anatomy. He plays Jackson. On Grey's mm-hmm, Anatomy. Mm-hmm. What is that yeah. man's name? Didn't he just, it was his last um, episode recently? Jesse, recently I think, yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, Jesse Williams is the actor's yeah. name. There's, there's something about him that reminds me that where, I you know, Ezekiel uh, would sort of fall into his bucket. <laughs> sure. But, yeah. oh, my goodness, it's funny casting. That's... Nobody's asked me about I who know. would play Ezekiel. uh, Oh, I totally see this on screen. I completely see this on screen. (laughs) It's just, like,
1: too vivid of a story that it would not go to screen. So I'm going to tell everybody they need to make sure this happens. Um, But it was funny because I was telling my daughter (laughs) about – I was telling my daughter about the story. She's 17, and I was like, you have to read this book when I'm done. Um, and I said, and she's, and then, you know, Honoré's got this guy in her life named Ezekiel, and she was like, like a menadiel? You know, like, she's like, it's not a menadiel. And it's like, no, it's not a menadiel, because we've been watching Lucifer. And so right, um, right. the brethren, yeah.
0: It's <laughs> like, no, it's not a menadiel. exactly what Ezekiel. show you were talking about. <laughs> right. yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I know, and it's sad, and, you know, and I feel a little bit guilty. I guess I've gone to church too much, but there was a couple of episodes that, um, you know, Ezekiel comes in, and he, like, swoops, and you can hear the swoop sound, you know, of the wings, and he walks in, and it's like my ovaries right. are back. It was like, I don't think this is supposed to happen.
0: I'm like, this is not the right, not the right result <laughs> for the angel. Yeah. my report. daughter was oh, like, yeah. damn. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, another show that did had a lot of angels in it was Supernatural, uh, and that mm-hmm. was one of my faves as well. Um, yeah, but they yeah. had everybody in there, uh, you know. Media, I can't even pronounce half of them. But yeah, I know. But um, anyway, <laughs> I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to talk about Wild Women in the Blues. I'm very I know excited about. This book, and 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 I love that people are sending me letters and enjoying the book and buying the book, which is available everywhere. Books are sold. And, it was um, yeah, at Target. I'm I mean, debut, it's everywhere. Yeah, at Target. Yeah, debut author stuff. This is good. This is a good um, thing that I'm very
1: thrilled to be a part of. Well, I am so appreciative and humbled that you were able to come on the show today because i know you're crazy busy so thank you so much
0: thank you for inviting me i appreciate it
1: (laughs) absolutely so everybody who's been listening this was uh, patricia w fisher i've been talking to denny s bryce her debut novel wild women of the blues is out now you can get it like at Target and Walmart and I mean all sorts of places and the, she's also been featured in O Magazine, Bustle Parade Marie Claire, a bunch of others you have her links to her website, Twitter Instagram and Pinterest in the write up of the show and if you have any questions just reach out to her, you can reach out to me and I will look forward to that next book coming out next year so please come back and talk to us again
0: <laughs> thank you, I will thank you very much, Absolutely. Patricia. I appreciate it
1: anytime and everybody out there why don't you just read something outside your norm and just read somebody somebody's uh, different point of view than yours and you never know you might learn something pretty fascinating and fabulous so everybody keep on reading and take
0: care this show brought to you by circle of seven productions www.cosproductions.com please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle